0: Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast that's created exclusively for people who are pursuing donor conception or have donor conceived children. I'm your host, Lisa Schumann. As a researcher, therapist, and an expert in donor conception, I'm passionate about helping people on their donor conception journey. After decades of work in the field, working on site at some of the best fertility clinics and through my group, the Center for Family Building, I have run workshops for donor-conceived children and have met with thousands of donors and recipients. I can share the tools and the truths I have learned to help you get the information that you need to have a better path to parenthood or help you tackle tough parenting issues. If it's about donor conception, we are going to talk about it. I hope you enjoy the episode. And today I have the pleasure of introducing Melissa Brusman. She's a, a fantastic icon in our field. Um, she graduated valedictorian from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania and graduated with honors from Harvard Law School. She works in New Jersey and New York and Pennsylvania and first started helping uh, people to become parents in 1996 when she was her, her own first client, when she and her husband used a gestational carrier to have their twins, and then a few le- years later, had a gestational carrier carry their daughter. She's a true pioneer in the field who advocates for changes in the law. She has been the first attorney to win la- landmark cases and lectures to physicians, potential parents, universities, and lawyers around the world. Her firm drafts and negotiates contracts for many types of reproductive arrangements, and today she's going to talk to you about an arrangement that has been in the media a lot and potentially could be very tricky. So, hi, Melissa. I'm very excited to have you.
1: Hi. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Very excited to have you here. I've known you for for decades, and um, I love watching all the things that you do and all the ways that you help people. And we were just talking about one of those ways has been to help people with um, their donor arrangements. And one of them that's been particularly problematic is people who are finding donors on the internet. Is that right?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. When COVID happened, not as many people were able to donate because of the strict protocols and the stay-at-home and shelter-in-place orders. Banks became very low, and I guess you would call it inventory. They didn't have as much sperm to go around, and the price of sperm went up quite a bit. So people started looking for alternative routes, and they're sitting at home. And if you do a Google search, you'll see there are all these Facebook groups and other ways to advertise to either procure sperm or to be a donor. And while it's not necessarily how you find your donor, it's really the screening process of that donor and what goes into it. So a lot of people go on the internet, someone advertises that they're going to give them sperm, they invite them to their home, they give them sperm, and they do an insemination in their house. And certainly that could be a way to get pregnant, but it's not very safe because there are a lot of things that a sperm bank or a fertility clinic will do for you. And if you find your donor on Facebook and you just do it this way, it's, it's almost like having sex with a stranger. So you don't have any disease testing done, right? So you don't know if the baby could become ill because maybe the person had syphilis and it gives syphilis to the baby, or there was no genetic screening. So you don't know if there are any um diseases that could be passed on any medical or psychological conditions then you don't know how many times this person has done this right so there could be 300 little you know people around in your geographic area if this person is going on Facebook and just inseminating all these people so there are a lot of dangers of finding Um, somebody on the Internet and just using them without doing your due diligence. And that doesn't even start to get into the legal ramifications of using somebody and whether or not they would be liable for child support or have parental rights. So I want to talk about
0: that, Melissa. Yeah, it's very, very scary. And I want to talk about that. I'm sorry to, to stop you right there. I just want to highlight something that you said. For our audience, because it's so important just to because I want to hear all the legal information, but it's so important for everyone to know that everything Melissa just said, the genetic screening, the uh, psychological screening, all of that is so very important you think about people that you know in life, right? There's lots of times that that people meet people and then you know, six months or a year later, they're dating the person or they're friends with the person and they realize they don't really like them after all, right? It takes a long time to know someone. And if you don't know somebody that well that you've just met on the internet, you may think they're terrific, but there may be problems lurking that you just don't know about. So I'm sorry to interrupt. I'd like you to, to go on. I just want to emphasize that point for everybody who's listening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, right, you don't go around asking people their medical history, even if you know them for a year, right? If you're going to have a baby with someone, you maybe go to your OBGYN, who will then recommend genetic testing, who will make sure you're healthy to carry the baby, right? And so if your partner carries some genetic mutation, you would find out, and maybe that person doesn't even know. So that's why the testing is so important. But legally, every state is different on how they treat donor insemination. But most of the time, if you do an insemination at home without the supervision of a doctor, most of the time that person's legal rights are not cut off, especially if there's not a contract, right? So normally with a known donor situation, we recommend two things, a legal contract between the donor and the intended parent. Um, And you would have an attorney on both sides. And also, we recommend following your state statute. So if that says it has to be done in a doctor's office, then we would recommend doing it in a doctor's office. But the contract will go over a lot of points that you might not think about. For instance, who can disclose to the child that they were born through this particular donor? Can the donor just show up one day and start talking to the child and, you know, increase Is in testing may lead to more medical information down the line, is the donor going to have to report to you, right? If you get your um, sperm from a bank, every time somebody has a birth and if there's something wrong with that child, then everybody else who used that sperm would know, there'd be reporting, right? But if you just find somebody or know somebody, there's no reporting and you have to have a mechanism for that contact and reporting. So contracts will go over a lot of things, but Normally, it's medical information in the future, contact in the future and rights and responsibilities that we're going over the most. Donors are usually most afraid of being legally responsible for the child and inheritance rights. And the parent is a lot of time wondering, can this person come back? Can they get custody? Those kinds of things are are addressed in the contract as well.
0: So if someone used a a donor, meets somebody online and they think, oh, well, I really like that person, what could happen in terms of the legal ramifications for The future for them they may say yes we really like each other we're going to be friendly and this person doesn't really want to be a dad and so i'm fine going on my merry way and they're just going to be in touch with us and you know it's so nice to know that i know my donor so i can have my child reach out and we're just going to be friendly what could happen in a in a legal situation yeah
1: Well, you want to make sure that legally, just because you found your donor on Facebook, that legally this is wrapped up. So if you just look at normal, everyday couples, gay, straight, any couple that you have that's together parenting a child, right? You can find that there are about half of them in the United States are going to split up and there's going to be custodial arrangements, right? Right. So getting along with someone you met on the internet on day one when everything is more like a fantasy is very easy than when it comes into the reality of a human being growing up. So if you don't have legal protections, you could have lots of horrible things happen, right? You could have the custody of the child taken away and if one person lives in California and the other lives in New Jersey, then you might not get to see them. You could, as a donor, become financially liable for a child you never intended to. You could have to pay for that kid's college in certain states. So you really, really want to make sure that just because you found your donor from a legal perspective that you meet any of the state statutory requirements um, by doing the insemination the way the statute directs and that you have a contract so that if there is any legal trouble down the line, at least the judge or the court has something to look at that both of you agree to with adequate counsel on both sides saying, this is what we intended. This is what we wrote down. This is we both had an adequate opportunity to consult with our counsel. There was psychological counseling on both sides. There was medical screening on both sides. We did this the right way. So then the court will more likely be able to look at, at a guidepost. But when you have children involved, most courts don't really care what the parents have to say. I mean, they care a little but they care most about the child. So most states, the standard is, and at every state is different, so you have to consult with local counsel, but most states, the standard is what is in the best interest of the child, right? So if the donor's rights weren't cut off, it's one thing if everything was done legally correctly, then we're not gonna take a child away from its parents and say this person would be a better parent, right? Because then a lot of people would have their children taken away because nobody is the best parent. But if everything was was not done correctly, and you intended to be, let's say, the intended mother, you got sperm, but the donor's rights weren't cut off, and clearly you're not able to support the child as well as the donor and provide the best parental environment, then it might be that your child might go to the donor. So usually courts look at what's in the best interest of the child and don't take into account how much you want.
0: Hmm. And what happened in, there was a recent case like that what well, It was in the news where a woman was parenting a child and this person who was the sperm donor gained custody.
1: Oh, yeah. So you're talking about the Oklahoma mm-hmm. case, right? So that's an anomaly. I believe part of it was overturned on appeal and I don't think that we're going to see the last of it. But basically what happened is a couple was married. They lived in Oklahoma. They used a donor. They got divorced. The bio mom and the birth mom did not want her spouse to to have any custody, custodial rights, visitation, support. She just wanted to get rid of her spouse, which is very frequent in marriages, right? People don't like their spouse. That's why they're Correct. getting divorced, yeah. right? So she went to pretty extremes. She tracked the donor down. I, I don't know how much tracked because they knew them. She moved in with the donor and is now parenting the child with the donor to try to um, get rid of or get rid of the parental rights of the non-vile mom. Now, under the law, both of them were put on the birth certificate as the parents in Oklahoma and should be treated as the parents. But as we know, there is a lot of controversy right now in the world about gay and lesbian rights. And this judge clearly, in my opinion, misread the law, but had also, in my opinion, a lot of prejudice.
0: Mm.
1: So what he said was that, they had the opportunity to adopt the child after birth. A lot of people told them they should do that. Lambda Legal does recommend that lesbian couples do do an adoption after they use a known sperm donor just to make an extra layer of protection, even though they shouldn't have to. They do recommend it. The judge said she knew about it. She didn't do it. And so her rights are not there, even though she's on the birth certificate as the mother. I do think at the end of the day, it's not going to end there. There are going to be people who take up her case. And I do believe part of it was overturned. And um, this isn't the end of this case that we're going to see. But it does emphasize the need for families, for LGBTQ families to basically be more protective than, than heterosexual families when they create them and to make sure that they use all the legal tools available, that if they split up, that this wouldn't happen.
0: Well, I'm glad that you're raising that, Melissa, because I think a lot of people are curious about that. And I think that, you know, naturally, people's emotions can get away with from them. And it's natural to feel like, well, I'm part of a lesbian couple, and I shouldn't have to do this. Straight people don't have to do it. They can just get pregnant at home. Why do I have to go through all this? Why do I have to adopt my own child? It's not fair. And I agree it's not fair. But it is, particularly in our political climate, I think it's, it's wise to be as self-protective as possible. Can you talk a little bit about that? And what are the things
1: Absolutely. they can do? Sure. So one of the things is basically understanding why they need to do the adoption. Like, what does the law say and what does it mean, right? Yes. So basically, yes. when, let's say you're, I like to give the example, we have two women they're married, they have a baby inside the marriage. Right now, one of them is not going to be biologically related. I don't know what the future will be, but right now, in order to have a baby, you can only have one sperm and one egg. So that means one of these women is not biologically related to the baby. And if she is the one not giving birth, a birth certificate, this is what people confuse. A birth certificate is a presumption of parentage, but it is not a final adjudication by a court of parentage, right? So that presumption... Can be rebutted. So I always give this example, right? You're married um, in a heterosexual relationship. You sleep with the milkman, okay? The milkman is a different race and you have a baby. Your husband says, This is not my baby. I'm African American. You're white. This baby is 100% Caucasian and looks like the mailman. Mm-hmm. So the husband can so- go to court and say, I am not the father. This, my wife had you know, right after birth, there's a time period. I'm not the father of this child. It is clear. I want a DNA test and I want the birth certificate to be revised and I want a divorce because obviously this is not my child. My wife cheated on me, right? So that's what it means. It's a presumption that when you're married, you're spouse, but you could prove otherwise. Okay. Okay. So that presumption can be rebutted. So if the law in that state states that a woman who gives birth is the mother, right, and her spouse is presumed to be the p- father, we could prove that it's actually the donor that's the father, right, in this case, because the maybe the donor intended to be the father. Okay. So in order to 100% cut off that donor's rights, what we need to do is we need to terminate those rights in an adoption. So what an adoption says is it rules the league who the legal parent or parents are and it cuts off anybody else who could have parental rights. So if the woman who gave birth is presumed to be the parent and is the parent under the law, we do what's called a step or a co-parent adoption, meaning we're, we're not terminating the rights, we're adding somebody else's rights, mm-hmm. right, without terminating the birth parent's rights. And at the same time, what we do something, what we call, we serve the donor. Basically, that's usually by certified mail and they sign a statement that they're not the father. A lot of times this can be done through the court through just paperwork without a hearing. Sometimes there is a physical hearing, but then the court will just rule in a certified order that these are the two parents and any peripheral rights of parentage of the donor are hereby severed, meaning that donor doesn't have any rights. So that procedure Mm -hmm. can eliminate down the road what's happening in Oklahoma. If that couple had done the adoption, not that they should have had to, they would not have had this issue because they would have both been deemed the legal parents of the mm-hmm. child by a court of law. So right now, is it 100% necessary that you get this adoption? So no, if it isn't. It's just like it's not 100% necessary to buy a life insurance policy. But if you die, it's good that you had one for your family. So this is your life insurance policy. If in the rare event, you're not only one of those people who separates But one of those people who's willing to argue that your spouse isn't really a parent, right? Because many couples would not be willing to make that argument, right? So you have to also be willing to make an argument against the type of relationship that you're in, right? So you have to argue that gay parenting isn't recognized, right? So you have to also be willing to make that argument. So this particular woman was willing to argue that her spouse wasn't really entitled to parentage, even though. She raised the child. Not everybody would be willing to make that argument in a divorce. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Wow, it's so interesting. So, when you think about these, you know, these sorts of predicaments, you know, we think about other things that can happen too, right? It, you know, you hear stories about people who, let's say, go to, uh, let's say, a, a state like Florida or some other state that may not be very LGBTQ friendly, and. They get in a car accident and someone says, well, only the bio parent can visit the child or make medical decisions for the child. Do you see those concerns coming up for parents or do you talk about other things like that with parents?
1: I do, but those are really less frequent, right? Getting into a car accident in another state and needing medical care is far less frequent than couples having disputes and separating, mm-hmm. right? It's 50% of the world that's separating and have disputes over custody and parentage. It's a one-off to be in another state and need medical. So we do talk about it, but it's not as important. The other things that are more on my radar are if they split up, what? how do your parents feel about your relationship if you die? Will the biological grandparent fight for custody? Mm. We want to make sure that you have wills in place that name the appropriate people so that you don't have those kind of fights. Also, I point out to a lot of people that a lot of workplaces will now reimburse you the cost of this adoption, right? If you're married and you adopt your spouse's child, it is not eligible for the federal adoption tax mm-hmm. credit, right? However, many employers consider this an adoption for which they will contribute. Great. So I have all of my clients check because this is normally, depending on the state, you know, a fifteen hundred to to three thousand or four thousand dollar process. It's not a ten to twenty thousand dollar process, and a lot of companies reimburse that amount, so that the actual amount they have to pay will be very small for the adoption. So people should look into that as well because it it sort of softens the blow a little bit if they don't have to actually dip into their pockets to pay for it. Absolutely. But, you know, different states, like if you lived in New Jersey, I'm confident that the state court will would not in any way act like the court in Oklahoma. But you never know. Right. You only take gets one judge to basically issue a ruling that's not in accordance with the law. And then what would happen is you'd have to appeal it and you get involved in legal fees and the cost of anything in the courthouse is going to be more than when you're not in dispute. Right. Disputes cost more than when you just do something in the normal course. Um, but hopefully there will come a day where we won't have to use the court system to, for these types of yeah. adoptions. Yeah.
0: Well, I raise the other issues because I think that it's so hard for people who are entering into an agreement, whether it's I'm in love with my partner and we're never going to get divorced, or I met this great guy on the internet or My best friend's brother wants to donate sperm to me. And, you know, it's natural when you're building your family to feel excited and feel happy and feel like this person is the bee's knees and nothing bad's ever going to happen. But as you pointed out, 50% of the people do get divorced. And I think sometimes it's hard for people to imagine that and to understand the gravity of the ramifications of getting divorced and instead sometimes
1: are more willing to kind of think about other things that could go wrong. Absolutely. And it's a bigger, people normally come to my law practice trying to waive the requirement of legal counsel when it's a family member. And I can tell you, I've been doing this since 1998. So it's a long time. And the most problematic cases, whether that be co-parenting, egg donation, sperm donation are always with family members, right? Because a family member you can't get rid of, right? So if you have a lesbian couple, and one is going to carry the baby with her egg and the other is going to use her brother's sperm. That's fairly common. So they each have a biological connection.
0: Right.
1: Well, if you get, even if you do it the right way legally, and we cut off the brother's rights to ever see the child legally, he's still going to be that child's uncle and you're still going to have a mother and a father probably on one side, at least that's going to be involved in this kid's life. And family, you don't usually get rid of, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes people never talk to their sibling again. But So if there's something in this relationship that becomes troublesome, it may be a constant reminder. And people forget about that. If you use a donor and you cut off their rights legally and it was even a semi-known donor through a bank or a fertility clinic or an agency, it's much easier to get that person very tangentially out of your life. It's very hard to get your your brother, your sister out of your life, and there's a lot of emotion in that. Also, people don't change their stripes a whole lot as, as they age. In fact, right, they get mm-hmm. more sometimes set in stone. So if your brother was slightly irresponsible or annoying or type A, or there was an aspect of their personality that you did not enjoy, that is only going to become exacerbated when you use their sperm. Right. So you have to think about is this person going to be going up to the child saying, look what I did for your mother. Like, I'm really your father. Like, if that's his personality, that's not going to change. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times also relatives make people do things they don't want to do. I cannot tell you how many times I've had an egg donor, a sperm donor, or a surrogate in my office saying, get me the heck out of this. I don't want to do this. But my mother is making me. These are people who are, you know, 30, 40 years old. Right, Most people, still, yeah, they still have some feeling of guilt that they have to do what their mother or father wants them to do. So you want, as a lawyer, a lot of times I'm the bad person. I'm like, this person is psychologically not prepared for this. And I actually had this case in my practice about 15 years ago. I had a woman who needed to use a gestational surrogate. So one of her sisters gave the eggs and the other carried the baby. She had had cancer when she was young. And the one sister who gave her eggs did not speak to her sister for five years and was in therapy. Because, not because she didn't love her sister, but because every time she saw those kids, she thought they were hers. She was clearly psychologically not prepared. She said that her mom really pushed her to do this Mm -hmm. when she was not a good candidate. And it was a really bad result because she didn't want to hurt her sister. But she really was not a good candidate. She couldn't separate the fact that she was not the mother. She felt she was the mother. So it really is important that if you use a relative or a friend that they're psychologically, they're medically counseled, they're legally and that they're the appropriate person. You don't just use them because you're desperate.
0: Absolutely. And just to rewind for a moment, I want everyone to kind of understand when you're saying that you're cutting off, let's say a sperm donor's rights, it's not because, because people might say, well, you know, I really like my sperm donor. I don't want to cut off his rights. I want him to be friends with my child. I want him to be the uncle. I want him to be the godfather. You can still do that. But you need to be more conservative about your legal document because you don't want him to also insist that your child join, you know, soccer instead of basketball or whatever he's, he at some point might decide to do. You need to kind of protect yourself. And then I think it's much better to be, and I'm assuming you'd agree, to be more conservative with your legal documents. And then you can decide to invite him over for dinner every Sunday night. You can still have a relationship with him, but at least you're protecting yourself. And I think, in this case of the um, egg donation with the sister, certainly I mean people have to think about psychological counseling and screening, and how can they protect themselves again from the long term potential problems that can come down the way. Nobody wants to think about divorce when they're walking down the aisle, of course, and that's what it might feel like. But it's so important to really think about it because there's somebody else involved. This future child is going to be involved.
1: Absolutely. Um, There's two different types of being a stranger, right? There's a legal stranger, right? So a legal stranger means you have no legal relationship to that person, right? Mm -hmm. You can always put in a contract that any meetings, friends, gifts, are not conveying any legal rights on the donor. They're supposed to Mm -hmm. be looked at in the spirit in which they're given as gifts from a friend. Right. And those things, certainly you can have friends spend time with your child, but you certainly want to make sure that the actions don't look like a father. So for instance, if you use a donor, you don't put him on the birth certificate, right? That's not a donor. You cannot have sex with your donor and then say that he is not the father that isn't, does not work. Right, so you can't have a contract mm-hmm. that you're mm-hmm. going to have sex with him. That is not that's against the public policy in all the states in the United States. That doesn't work. And believe it or not, people do that and think, well, he was just a donor. We 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 just had sex with him to have the baby. That that is not a legal argument. Mm-hmm. So you have to make sure there's no sexual intercourse. If you do have sexual intercourse with your donor, you're going to have to do an adoption and cut off his rights and then put the other person in there. And until that adoption is finalized, that person is not considered a legal parent, right? So that's very important. Um, people use unconventional methods. And although sexual intercourse is obviously con- conventional, it's unconventional in terms of having sex with your donor. And we want to make yeah. sure that they don't do those things. Um, so that, that's very important. So yes, being a legal stranger is different than being a friend. I'm a legal stranger to my friend's kids, but I'm not a stranger to them. Right. I have no legal rights to my friends, kids. I can't, you know, parent them.
0: Right. And it's not an insult to decide that you want to have a contract that allows you to have full parental rights and then decide whatever relationship you want to have with your donor or, you know, anybody else for that matter. Just like you're saying with your friends, it, it's not insulting to not have absolutely a parent.
1: And I also wanna be clear, It's you can't just have the contract. You still have to follow the state statute, right? So for instance, in New York insemination for a donor to be cut off their rights needs to be done by a medical professional, all right? Under the care and supervision mm-hmm. of a medical professional. Right. So if a medical professional is not doing the insemination and you have a contract, it doesn't matter. It wasn't, it didn't meet the statutory requirements. The contract, yes, it's better than nothing, but you still haven't cut off that person's rights. So if you're doing a home insemination, I always tell people, and the, the, it's not like the doctor's not making house calls. So the home insemination is like by a lay person. Then what you're gonna need to do is an adoption after that child is born. Otherwise that donor still has rights. So it's not just the contract. You need to look at the state law. Right. And this has happened before in New Jersey, right? So there was a home insemination done for a couple. They had a contract. And they did one baby at home and one in a doctor's office. So they had two kids with the donor. The donor then sued later. The donor was able to get parental rights over the kid that was done at home, right? So they did the second one at home to save money, right? Penny wise, dollar foolish. You have to make sure that you do things legally the right way.
0: Yes, absolutely. And those requests from the donor could be anything they want, right? I mean, we've seen situations where they say, you know, the child has some sort of difficulty, and they say, "I don't feel comfortable with you sending the child to the psychiatrist. I'm going to call the psychiatrist and as a the parent, I can say to the psychiatrist, don't prescribe medication for my child. I don't believe he has ADHD or whatever or you know, insist that they come to the parent teachers' meetings or you know, whatever else that they may decide. They can really insert themselves in your life. And when you're plan- not planning on them being fu- fully uh, a parent, you're really, you know, potentially in trouble.
1: Absolutely. I mean, your court may have to get involved in that aspect because, right, if you can't come to a settlement through a mediator about what parental rights that person would have or wouldn't have, then you have to go to court and try to rule that that person is not a parent. And if they rule the donor to be, a parent and not a donor, then you either have to work out through a mediator what the parental rights of each are going to be, or you're going to end up going to court and spending a lot of money, right? So that's what we're trying to avoid, is you're trying to avoid the one-offs by doing this the right way from the beginning, because a more extreme example would be that if the donor lived far away, right, like a plane ride away, right, and his parental rights were not cut off, and he received custodial rights, right, then that would be a huge. Or if you are living in the same state and letting the donor visit, but you didn't cut off his rights and he visits once a week and then he's relocated for his job and he has no choice, you know, what are you going to be doing? Are you going to have to travel with this kid? I mean, it's a big deal, right? And also, there's a lot of people involved, right? So when you do a donor, if the donor has a partner and you have a partner and then You all end up splitting, you know, the number of people who are parenting this child ends up to be a lot of people. And and the more people you add to the mix, the more it's already hard to raise a child. Right. No one goes, raises a child and says, this is the easiest thing I ever did. Right. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be a parent. And the more parents you add on one child, the harder it becomes. So you have to think of the child as well.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's kind of in the end, the most important thing to think about, right? How is this all going to affect the child, no matter how much you might say, I really love, you know, my best friend's cousin, and I want him to be involved in the child's life. And it's so important for my child to know their donor and I want to be involved. That's great, but it doesn't mean that they have to be a legal parent. And I think what you're saying is so important and, and hopefully people will really take it to heart. Thank you so much, Melissa. You have wonderful wisdom as always.
1: Yeah. And the one last thing that I I just wanted to add about the contract is most people come to me kicking and screaming. They don't want to do a contract. Mm -hmm. They think it's a waste of money. And I find when they leave, they actually are thanking me because what happens when you really want to have a baby so badly is all your focus is on is a cute little baby, right? But these babies grow up and they become people and they don't think about things. Like for instance, if someone's being a sperm donor and they do it in the clinic and they give you five vials of sperm, what's happening to that extra sperm? Can you donate it to a third party to have a baby? Like, does that donor know that once you own his sperm, you could do whatever you want with it. It's your property, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So you could give that to seven other couples if you have a lot of sperm, right? And there's just a lot of things that people say, well, I never thought about that. Like I I didn't think about, like, I don't want him donating sperm to 25 other people who live in my small town, right? Or I want to get his number in case, God forbid, you know, my child has a disease that I didn't know came from him. And there's just a lot of things that you don't think about that I think about because I've been doing this a long time and I see them come up. So planning, it, you know, sometimes I'm sure people do the same thing with with going yes. to you, Lisa, is that they don't want to go to... to social work or psychiatry or, or in advance. And then they, they really find it helpful after Um, because, you know, they're, they feel like when you're in a heterosexual relationship and you have sex, nobody tells you how to have a baby. But then a lot of times they may have a baby that if they had come to us, so I always give the example, my husband is a physician and he has a friend who has baby twins that had cystic fibrosis Mm -hmm. because they were not tested. well, when you do assisted reproduction, you prevent that because both the donor and the, the bio person, the bio mom would be tested to see if they both carry that gene. So it's, it's not necessarily a good thing if a heterosexual couple does no planning. So, you know, we're not looking at a heterosexual couple and saying like, here are all the things that you should have done, right? Yes, that's not true. But if they went through proper channels, they would have done testing if they went to their OBGYN or so these are actually advances in science that you should take advantage of.
0: Absolutely, without question. And I think, um, you know, that's a really important point. My my son actually, who was adopted, I did his uh, DNA testing and he's a carrier for cystic fibrosis. So I would have never known that. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people don't know what their children might be carriers for and are not going through the proper channels. Those things are super important for your child's future. But also, you know, the other point, is that these people are also making embryos that they may at some point need to discard or give away. And I worked with a woman once who donated seven embryos to seven different families around the country, and she used an egg donor. So that egg donor is not only thinking about, well, I gave eggs to this particular person. Now there are going to be seven other families that all have children with those same genetics. And people don't really kind of think ahead in that way about what's going to happen. And I understand, you know, you have infertility, you want to have the baby yesterday, but it's so important, as you said, to plan.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And we'll have to continue this conversation. There's so much to talk about.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Would love it.
0: Well, thanks so much. And for all of you who are out there listening to Melissa and want to reach out to her for advice or for, um, you know, your contract, how can people reach you?
1: Absolutely. They can go to my website, which is just MelissaBrisman.com or ReproductiveLawyer.com. Or you know they could email us at info at reproductive lawyer. Our phone number is listed on the website. My name is fairly unique, that if you do a Google search, you won't find a lot of Melissa Brisman's. Um, but so okay. hopefully you could find us on the web.
0: Okay, that's great. Well, I hope everybody reaches out to you because you have a you know a wealth of knowledge that's so great to tap into and so important for people to kind of think ahead. So thanks so much for joining us today. And if you'd like more, please subscribe because you won't miss an episode that way. And feel free to reach out to me at familybuilding.net. I have all of my information on there and lots of valuable information for you to look at and listen to so that that will help you on your family building journey. Thanks so much for being part of our community, and I hope to see you next time.
1: It was really just hearing from other people that were going through similar experiences. We didn't
0: have anybody, at least not anybody close in our family or circle of friends that had done this before. All of them like try to empathize and understand. Unless you've really gone through it, it's hard to understand what...